Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Let's, let's see this this question. <clears throat> Mr. Potato Head no longer exists, but you can go on live TV and you can perform wet ass pussy. So let's see if I say the word okay, wet ass that. pussy, is my post gonna be taken down? Or if I say one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Well, it's, but that's good because we could we could talk you and I on that. Which one, wet ass pussy or Dr. Seuss motherfuckers? There are some questions this morning about President Trump's health, and it's because of this video of the president where you see him walking very haltingly. Maybe he just has a hard time going down a gently sloping ramp. But um, do you see something possibly neurological that could be throwing off his balance? He was walking down the ramp afterwards, and he looked a little shaky. Uh, the president says no big deal. Uh, it was a downward ramp, and it was a little, he says, slippery, even though it was a clear day. Um, the internet, as the internet does, suggesting maybe the president was having some balance issues here. Well, it's more than uh, just the way he walked, Aaron. Um, one doesn't need to be a physician to note that the president hasn't looked well recently, and he didn't look well on Saturday. His speech has become very, very slow, as if he's struggling to read from the teleprompter. For years, the president has used attacks on his opponents, his opponent's health, unfounded against them. But now questions are being raised about the president's health. Americans have every reason to question his health. But walking down a ramp, holding a rail, probably no issue. But now you know how it feels, don't you? What goes around comes around. A lot of people talking about the president's health. Uh, we'll leave it to the doctors uh, for that. But it is uh, images like this and even his speaking uh, ability 
uh, or lack thereof uh, during this, um, again, undercuts their argument that Biden is a doddering old man. Certainly the matter of a president's health is of great importance to the American public. The president's health was already called into question this past weekend when he was seen on video cautiously walking down a ramp after delivering a commencement address at West Point. In fairness, he has always had issues with descending stairs and ramps. Obviously, what's being raised as well in this focus on his health and, and whether he's impaired is that we've never really had a lot of transparency. Last thing before we go here tonight, did you see or can you remember a single quote from the president's commencement speech at West Point on Saturday? If the answer is no, that may be... And I shouldn't have done that because I wanted to yield to my vice president who's smarter than I am. <laughs> Well, there's not much to add to that, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I, but I will say that I do believe that this administration, with the leadership of our president, is without any question about science. I get no Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 21st of March, year of our Lord. 2021, as you can see by the little clock I put in here, I, I guess you can't see it anymore. It's blocked. This is the latest I've ever started recording. Ever. But in our intro, of course, is Biden falling. And CNN, MSNBC, the rest of 50 minutes because Trump tripped. Trump tripped. It was 50 minutes. 50 fucking minutes. Going to be a short show today. Going to be a lot of sound bites. I, I was uh, on the road, of course. Um, wanted to take a moment to... Uh, uh, one of the most moving ceremonies I've ever seen. The Newman Sheriff Department, Police Department, Fire Department, the people of Noonan, Georgia. Um, I got to admit, I started crying driving to the cemetery. It was such an honorable, beautiful send-off for a great American that, uh, you know, I was a little better for a while. I drove away from there, and I had to leave instantly, which I felt horrible. Uh, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with his wife and children, um, but we've got family phones and emails, and we can actually stay in contact. But the wife was still injured. Uh, she's upstairs, so if the little remote walkie-talkie kicks in, she's watching TV and set up. <clears throat> but um, I had to leave. And, you know, uh, Rich in Alabama and his wife showed up. And we both, at the end, what a, way, what a great way to send him off. I felt a little positive. Um, because it was quite impressive that you know this many people cared about him just as much as we did so uh drove home and uh, gotta admit i didn't get a podcast together then came nascar yeah i'm telling you what a great race yesterday uh and then we're gonna play that in about two seconds once we go through this fall stuff um 
but that was kind of froggy and cool. And Pickwick Lake had the Bass Pro because I'm heading out fishing this week. And next thing you know, I'm well. Holy shit! It's almost eight thirty. I gotta go podcast. I'm down in the basement. So um, that shindig, you know, I don't like making fun of the president of the United States. That so I don't hit it again. You hear it. I, I don't, but this is why, you know, we inherited a broken stair system. Jimmy, is the president afraid of, of stairs? That's what they did for Trump. Chris Saliza, are we getting a 2,000-word story on Biden's stumble? Why the Donald Trump West Point ramp story actually matters, Chris Saliza. Trump's claim that the ramp had very slippery was inconsistent with the weather, which on Saturday in West Point, New York, was sunny and clear sky. The grass plain on which the commencement took place was dry. Drew Holden again. Are we getting a 2,000-word story? The fact that... They fact-checked the weather when Trump walked down a ramp, guys. Does anyone remember this? Trump walked down a ramp weird, and we had a full-blown media panic. Slate. Trump defends slow walk down West Point. It was very slippery. New York Times. Trump's halting walk down ramp raises new health questions. Uh, Forbes. President Trump walks down ramp at West Point. Here's how people reacted. CNN. Why the Donald Trump West Point matters. Can someone ask Project Lincoln if there's something seriously wrong with Biden's health? Do the American people need to know? Are we not doing that this time? Lincoln Project. There's something seriously wrong with Trump's health. There's trouble walking. The constant slurring. The way he drinks water, for Christ's sake. Tell a lot about how somebody drinks water. Especially if they're Jewish. They don't have their yarmulke on because liberals are so anti-Semite. Oh, wait, we didn't cover that either. Yeah, that was the impeachment. But, yeah, whatever. I ex- Eddie Zipper, I expect the New York Times to have a whole story speculating on Biden's health and he fell three times walking up a step. Uh, Stephen L. Miller, well, Fox has their cover story for the day and so does CNN, I guess now too. Can't wait for Darcy Saliza Sel- 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 Seltzer to start whining. Uh, Trump defends cautious walk. Trump can't stop talking about West Point. Why Trump? I mean, this just goes on and on and, and you get the point. Um, well, this is even better. Listen to this. I want to discuss this now with CNN's political reporter and editor-at-large, Chris Eliza. You have a dot-com piece out today on CNN.com, and you lay out why this story should matter. Tell us why. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of obvious things, Brianna. Number one is Donald Trump is 74 years old. Obviously, his birthday was on Sunday. He's the oldest person ever elected to a first term as president. Two, we know so little about Donald Trump's past medical history. Ah! man I put the montage he, he doesn't even call himself the fucking president and now Biden's the oldest person ever he can't walk upstairs he can't carry a sentence for more than two seconds they've held off a press conference because they're afraid to put him out in front of the American people it's it's come come the fuck on you people are garbage I could end the show now. Just we'll peace. I'm out. I mean, because it's it sums up our media. You have no standards. 
You're just liberals. Just admit it. And I have no problem of ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, New York Times, WAPO, CNN, MSDNC, and all the other ash and trash. Just admitted they're liberal. Their sole purpose is to get liberals in charge. Our This Is America Today is a late night comedian making the case why for the safety of the world they must rig elections. It's what they must do because Republicans are so bad. There could be another Donald Trump again. But do we remember everything from his health, his mental, he smoke, he snorts cocaine because he... He lisped, he was whistling when he speaked. And the thing is, never Trumpers, probably buddies like freaking Dennis in New York, thought those things with Trump because they hated him. And now they don't have the intellectual honesty to literally go, hey, this motherfucker's way worse because he's not in control of the government. You elected a guy to get rid of a guy you hated who you had total control of. He could do nothing. Trump couldn't pass anything by the media. Biden is shoving extreme policies, taxes, welfare programs into bills that have COVID relief. And you're all fine with it because you just hated Trump. Trump's a dick. He's so unpresidential. Look at this motherfucker. I mean, we could just do a whole show on him not being able to articulate a sentence with a dictionary, thesaurus, and a goddamn interpreter. You don't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's saying. I don't think he knows what he's signing. Biden's been on every angle of every issue. He's a career politician who's done nothing. That's why he didn't run on his record. He doesn't have a record. Because he's been for and against everything, every issue you could think of, all the way down to daylight savings time. I mean, come on. Brian Seltzer, Trump's defensive tweet about this West Point walk, claiming the ramp service is slippery with no evidence, made this more legit story for the media to cover. Update. The New York Times is now writing about Trump's appearance at West Point. <clears throat> Stephen L. Miller, it's now, it, it's now up to journalists to get to the truth about Trump's health. Trump's halting walk, and he goes through another list that I'm not going to cover, because you get the point. Everybody was saying, hey, that video of Trump golfing and hitting Biden, I put it in there. Trump Jr. shares an edited video showing father knocking Biden down with golf balls. The hill. We're real journalists. Yeah, we're real journalists. We are just real journalists, Mr. President. White House spokesman excuse for President Biden's fall actually makes it worse. Worse, Stephen Nelson. Update, White House spokesman Karine Jean-Pierre seems to blame the wind for President Biden's fall. So I didn't play the one where somebody showed him farting. That's what was knocking him down. Serious gas. Just don't reply. That'd be probably better. Reuters. Real news, Mr. President. 
President Joe Biden may have taken a bit of a fall on his way into Air Force One, but his approval rating is steadily climbing since he took office, according to a Reuters iPost poll. North Korea much? Do you? Here's this. President Joe Biden. It's That's hilarious. I never saw that. I'm not going to play it. But it shows him trying to prep the podium for him and get a specific book. And they pulled a book out and they had changed the book because I guarantee the font is huge. Because he's old. He can't read. I can't read. I'm about to be 54. I can't see shit. Me and my wife spent all day going, why do they get away with putting on bottles that font? What the fucking fuck? You can't read that. You're going to kill somebody. At least that's our take. Molly Hemingway takes the brutal stroll down memory lane, torching media for the many Trumps hoaxes they created. Today's reveal that WAPO allowed a political opponent to anonymously invent Trump quotes is quite the story. But my favorite anonymous story remains anonymous. That was when the New York Times tried to suggest a disgruntled low-level staffer was Trump's cabinet official or family member. And instead, he was John Willoughby III at the Bureau of Engraving or some such. I love that story so much. Also, there was no repercussions to the New York Times other than the further loss of credibility. Washington Post, CNN also ran puff pieces higher than low-level dude. Good times. Also, when CNN used two anonymous sources to falsely accuse Don Jr. of having advanced knowledge of a Russian WikiLeaks thing, but it turned out that their supposedly independent sources both managed to get the date on the email wrong, also that other outlets confirmed it. Fun times. Or maybe my favorite are the 2,472,547 Russia collusion hoax stories, all based on completely sketchy anonymous sources and all totally false, for which our media gave themselves awards and then pretended it was all NBD once they were exposed as hacks. But the Atlantic anonymous sourced Ains Marne Cemetery Trump hates soldier story completely refuted by common sense massive on the record rebuttals government emails and historical weather reports was pretty bad too and quite consequential so why would we expect this just the news run by a liberal not conservative a liberal who knew the media was hot fucking garbage they did a poll Less than half of voters thinks Biden is fit to hold the office of presidency. And then simultaneously this week, bombshell report alleges that Biden allies colluded with Iran before the election. There is actual proof that Iran put money in the game. How did our media cover it? Russia and Iran aimed to sway 22 elections, 2020 elections through covert campaigns. That's USA Today. Over at NBC, a more liberal source, which is hard to say because you know they're all liberal, but this is like super liberal. Russia tried to help Trump in 2020. They're not even covering the Iran angle that they literally put money in the game. Exactly what Russia did. And then our media... And liberals and never Trumpers and conservatives who just all of a sudden became liberals, who were probably always liberals, 
decided to run out the Russia hoax. We spent $25 million or $30 million fucking dollars. We spent two and a half years of a presidency all the way up till today. There's still Russia, Russia, rushing. All on false bullshit. When in this, what I've read, Iran actually got with the campaign. Iran needs Biden. Iran needs an Iran deal to get going so they can get a motherfucking nuke and finance their defense department. Because, I mean, if Biden is like Obama, they're going to get a boatload of cash. An actual country. Not Russia, but an actual country that financed militants who killed Americans with IEDs. But yeah, yeah, Trump. Trump's a dick. Then we get this story. Byron York, Biden again refers to Vice President Harris as President Harris. The White House helpfully inverts vice into the transcript. The official record of what he says is supposed to be verbatim. Yet this is like the seventh time they have altered the official record. Nobody in the media said a word. Now, if Trump altered a fucking syntax, it was front page news. But yeah. Yeah, we're um we're real news, Mr. President. So let's do this really quick before I get into serious stuff. I gotta play this. I follow Martin Truex Jr. in the NASCAR series, and then I follow all the Bass Pro vehicles and the truck race and uh, was it Noah Grayson? Noah Grayson's my guy. And yesterday there was an incident, and let's get out of political, go back to this, that was really exciting. And I wanted to cover it up front before I get into political shit, the jerk-off session, and then really the Atlanta shootings today's show in a nutshell. I'm going to cover racist. I have so much trans shit, but I'm going to wait for a podcast where I can organize a script and get my shit together, because it's not together right now. But this actually gave me hope. They backed into one another, and, and watch, coming from the left, Hemrick comes over during an interview to let Noah understand he's not happy, and Noah's swinging. Wow. The one thing that we have learned in the NASCAR Xfinity Series is that these drivers go at it for every position, each and every A lot of great power from Hendrick Motors and uh, and how about Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shop and everybody who uh, allows us to get here is is pretty wild there. Hey, you ever... Now, the reason why I was so excited about this, over the last decade, the left, progressives, the media, schools, the race hustlers, 
Twitter, Facebook, they've gelded a generation of males. I mean, they're taught to be beta or be trannies. I mean, if you really want to be in nowadays as a male, you need to chop your dick off and make it a vagina and call yourself Lucy. That's what you need to do. You're going to get to the front of the class. You're going to get extra special treatment. You'll be part of the 0.7% of the fucking country that we spend all our time talking about. Not the 0.5% that went to the wars and fought like Scott Carl. We don't talk about him. Now, fuck that. We talk about goddamn trannies and the pronouns and why we need to give three-month-olds gender reassignment fucking hormones and that we can't name our kids because we shouldn't even be, we should be putting X's on fucking birth certificates. I really want to do a tranny show. I got like a hundred articles. I'll hold. Men aren't taught to do this. And as we sat and worked this out last night in the Xfinity race, because me and my wife argued and she missed it. Noah Grayson goes to pull into his pit stop. The dickhead, and I'm not even going to say his name because he's a dick. The guy in front of him, behind him, blocked him. So he decided, fuck him, I'm going to block this guy. And so, when he fixes it, Noah Grayson goes in and he taps him. Now, Robin's racing if you watch fucking Days of Thunder. Now, granted, he shouldn't have done it because there was a guy, he could have hit somebody, but whatevs. Then he goes to do the interview, and this other dude lays... Hands on him. Now, the way the media handled it, because we want everybody to be a fucking beta in a skirt, is that he was swinging. So the other dick cheese does an interview and he says, well, you know, I got a hole in the front of my car, but he got popped in the eye. Then this stupid brainless chick, who probably knows dick about racing, but they got to have a woman, because if you don't have a woman... And soon, if you don't have a tranny, then you're not woke. So they have a woman up there talking about it. And she goes, and fourth place, Noah Gregson, Popeye, on live TV. And I lost my shit. I went to a tweet storm over all of it. Here's the reality. He shouldn't have backed up because he almost hit the guy with the fucking air gun. But if motherfucker lay hand on you... What are they, was he supposed to do? Well, I'm sorry, chap. Just go ahead and tussle me up. Fuck that. And nobody got popped in the eye. My actual tweets to all these motherfuckers was, A, Gregson had every right to defend himself, and Gregson, go see BRCC. Go get a Black Rifle coffee. They'll give you some hand-to-hand. Next time, connect with that motherfucker so he don't talk shit about you, and then that stupid brainless anchor won't talk shit either. Because that was a microcosm of our society. The media went with the guy who threw the first blow. Hey, that dude choked him. He grabbed his chest. When you do that to somebody, I don't give a fuck if you're a priest. That person has every right to put boot to ass. You don't lay hands on people, period. So I wanted to cover it up front before we got to the stupid shit later. Because we don't have this anymore. We don't laud Alpha. And it's why China's 
kicking our ass. Now, at this point in the show, I'd usually play the whole China clips and all that crap. Let's go to Fox News. Breaking our media sucks. But I'm not going to. I'm going to play one of our long clips today. It's from Tucker because this shit hurt me. It hurt my feelings. That a foreign communist cocksucking fucking country that the left loves and acts like, by the way, with their fucking fascism, is talking this much shit about us. But you know what? They're just telling the truth. So there you have the Chinese government using Black Lives Matter as a weapon against the United States. You have the Chinese lecturing us about human rights. You never thought you'd see the day that happened. But the amazing thing is in 2021, it works. That's why they do it. The Chinese know our leaders very well. In fact, they have a name for our self-hating professional class. They call them BISOP. The rough translation for the Mandarin is white liberal, and it is definitely not a compliment. Here's how Chinese state media describe Baisal. Quote, there are people who only care about topics such as immigration, minorities, LGBT, and the environment, who have no sense of real problems in the real world, who only advocate for peace and equality to satisfy their own feelings of moral superiority and who are so obsessed with political correctness that they tolerate backward Islamic values for the sake of multiculturalism. As Chinese state media notes, quote, former U.S. President Obama was considered an advocate of Baisal ideology. So was German Chancellor Angela Merkel and her decision to welcome more than one million third world immigrants to Europe, end quote. Other observations about Baisaw, as reported by Chinese state media, include the fact that they, quote, advocate inclusiveness and anti-discrimination, but cannot tolerate different opinions. Baisaw's political opinions are, quote, so shallow that they tend to maintain social equality by embracing ideologies that run against the basic concept of equality. Amazing. According to one scholar from P- Peking University, Baisaw are phony and hypocritical and will make the situation in the West go from bad to worse, and so on. Talk about insightful. They know our leaders well. According to Wikipedia, many Chinese internet users use the term Baisaw, and we're quoting, to criticize the Democratic Party's emphasis on affirmative action policies, which are perceived as discriminating against Asians, end quote. So whatever you think of the Chinese, they're definitely not stupid, and they're onto something here. Affirmative action hurts Asians. That is true, and everyone knows it. A study of Harvard's admissions policies, for example, found that if the school admitted students solely on merit, as we thought they did, the percentage of Asian students in a given class would double to 43%. Now, Harvard doesn't want that, doesn't want that many Asians. So it denies admissions to Asians because they're Asian. That is the definition of discrimination. That's what racism is. But it's everywhere. It's going on in all elite schools right now, as well as in almost every major corporation. The current administration wholeheartedly supports it. The Biden DOJ dropped a lawsuit against Yale University for racist anti-Asian admissions practices, which were proved, by the way. It wasn't an allegation. They got a hold of Yale's admission standards, which showed unequivocally Asians were denied entry because they were Asian. But the Biden DOJ didn't want to pursue it because they supported it. The attacks on standardized testing, by the way, have the same effect. 
We have standardized tests for a reason. They were created so that people who have no social connections, ambitious and talented immigrants, for example, could succeed in this country too. People like that have no one to write recommendation letters to them. They don't have rich uncles who sit on the board of this or that school, but they're smart and they work hard. And we wanted a place for them in our hierarchy because this was the land of opportunity, remember? So we created standardized tests so that they could make it too. People from nowhere could succeed on their own talents. That was the idea, but not anymore. Standardized tests are disappearing thanks to lobbying from BISOF, from woke Democrats. The meritocracy is racist, they claim, so is succeeding through hard work. Who do these poisonous ideas hurt most? Well, in Boston, as in so many places around the country, public schools have suspended an advanced work program due to, quote, concerns about equity. The real concern is the skin color of the students in the advanced program. Liberals were mad that the classes were too Asian. You're seeing this everywhere. Thomas Jefferson High School in Virginia, for example, many elite high schools, elite high schools in New York. They're all changing admissions because there are too many Asians in the classes. We all see this happening. No one in this country mentions it. You know who else notices it? The Chinese. Why wouldn't they? On the one hand, they're offended by it because the BISAW's so-called equity programs always wind up hurting people who look like them. On the other hand, the Chinese government is pleased as they watch this because no country that penalizes people for intelligence and hard work can last very long. The Chinese have been around long enough to know that's true. Kenny Hsu is the author of the upcoming book, An Inconvenient Minority, which is about discrimination in the Ivy League and how it hurts Asian Americans in this country. He's also the host of the Inconvenient Minority podcast, and we're happy to have him on tonight. Kenny Hsu, thanks so much for joining Tucker, us. Tucker, it's great to be here. Tucker, it's great so, to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So you hear a lot of people increasingly, because there are rewards for claiming to be a victim of this or that, stand up and say, I've been discriminated against. What makes these cases the ones that you have focused on so different is it they are provable i mean it, correct me mm -hmm. if i'm wrong we have evidence that people are being denied admission because of their skin color do we not yes we have a lot of evidence tucker um harvard university and i tell about this in my book an inconvenient minority harvard university grades applicants on three things academics extracurriculars and a personality score but what they do with the personality score which is an entirely subjective metric is that they use it to discriminate against Asian Americans using these invidious, vicious stereotypes against Asian Americans to say, oh, we're just test-taking robots with no personalities. That's what they're doing to try to lower our, our composition in these elite universities, and it's damaging our culture of excellence. Well, that's it, and that's why I'm so offended by it. It's nothing to do with the race of anyone involved. It has to do with mm -hmm. the American idea, which is, if you work hard, if you're talented, we have a place for you. You can ascend the ladder. It's not closed to you. It's open. That's the whole point of the country. And it seems like a lot of Asian immigrants particularly kind of bought into that. They believe that was the case. That's why they came here and they found something very different. Yes. And, and Tucker, Chinese Americans know this perhaps even better than many other Americans because China underwent its own cultural revolution, right, where they discriminated, where they persecuted those who they deemed as intellectuals it was a very yes. anti-meritocratic ideology tucker and it set their country back for many years they're still dealing with the effects today so they understand the lessons that what happens when you persecute those who who perform and and we're we're undergoing the same kind of viciousness here today 
That is a fascinating point that had not occurred to me until you just said it. So they, they've been through this cycle of insanity. And of course, a lot of people, an awful lot of people died in the Cultural Revolution. How do you think yeah. they view the woke revolution underway in this country? <laughs> Tucker, they're laughing at us. They're laughing at us because while we are discriminating against the most meritorious, while we're fomenting this race war, while we're yes. talking about all of these ideas of equity and inclusion, China is just marching on ahead. They're, 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 they're talking with their tech billionaires. They're talking with their, their lead uh, economic geniuses. And they're marching ahead in this war and this competition between the U.S. and China for tech supremacy. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, if not the head. Kenny, I appreciate the clarity of what you just said and the fascinating point you made about the Cultural Revolution. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for coming on. Congrats on the book. I appreciate it, Tucker. Thank you. What the fucking fuck? China gets it, but our media doesn't. And understand, Tucker has been putting boot to ass on all this stupid shit. Nothing he's been putting out wasn't factually correct. CNN mentioned Tucker Carlson 99 times since last Thursday, spending 37.5 minutes discussing the Fox News host, Pergrabian. They're covering it that more than China basically take, saying to that piece of shit that's supposed to be a Supreme Court justice, you're a fucking cheese dick, go fuck yourself. They don't cover that. Why would they? But Glenn Greenwald sums it up better than I did, because in our last show we played the seltzer clip of him talking about Tucker, and he's the new Trump. He's not. And Glenn Greenwald says why he's not, and what they're really trying to do. With the ratings at freefall, they desperately need the new Trump. They tried to make it MTG, but nobody cared about a first-term backbencher, so they're now auditioning Tucker for the role. A bit bizarre for a cable host to be elevated another another TV cable host. One earnest question I have. Why is it okay to devote hours of TV time to maligning and stoking hatred against a cable host? And I do think it's fine, but it's not okay, it's abusive and violent, to voice criticism of a front-page New York Times reporter is not. What's the principle here? Tucker Carlson actually had protesters outside his home when his wife and kids were inside using a logic now marshal to place off-limit criticism of New York Times reporter Taylor Lorenz. Couldn't he allege that CNN attacks on him incite harassment and violence? One very significant defect plaguing contemporary discourse is the inability to think in terms of principles. Question. What's the principle that permits a cable host to be harshly critiqued, but not a New York Times reporter? A, one sucks, the other doesn't. And he goes on from there, but it's true. Nobody's watching their network, because most of them were probably never Trumpers who hated Trump, who said they didn't watch it, but it was their fix. And now that they're liberals... CNN isn't liberal enough, so now they're over on MSNBC jerking off with Morning Joe. Because Joe Scarborough is just like them. He's a conservative that got principled because GOP's a bunch of fucking racists. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that, that sums up pretty well. Sure, whatever you say. But what did Tucker do? 
Tucker told the truth. He keeps telling the truth. He's reporting facts. You don't. Nearly all television is a Democratic Party trumpet. Molly Hemingway takes a look at circuit judge dissent. And this is pretty fucking interesting. And I'm going to read it. D.C. Circuit Judge Silberman just released a ruling, a truly wild dissent, excuse me, calling on the Supreme Court to overturn New York Times versus Sullivan, claiming New York Times and WAPO are virtually Democrat Party broadsheets and accusing big tech of censoring conservatives. Molly Hemway takes out the important shit. <clears throat> the increased power of the press is so dangerous today because we are very close to one-party control of these institutions. Federal Judge Lawrence Siberman warned in a dissent yesterday, The New York Times and Washington Post are virtually Democratic Party broadsheets, and the news section of the Wall Street Journal leans in the same direction. The orientation of these three papers is followed by the Associated Press and most large papers across the country, such as L.A. Times, Miami Herald, Boston Globe. Nearly all television, network, and cable is a Democratic Party trumpet. As has become apparent, Silicon Valley also has an enormous influence on the distribution of news, and it similarly filters news delivery in ways favorable to the Democratic Party, wrote Judge Silberman, highlighting the shocking suppression of stories about the Biden family. Ideological homogeneity in the media or in the channels of information distribution risks repressing certain ideas from the public consciousness just as surely as it's if access was restricted by the government. It should be sobering for those concerned about news bias that Fox, NYP, Wall Street Journal are controlled by a single man and his son. Will a lone holdout remain in what is otherwise a frighteningly orthodox media culture after all? There are serious efforts to muzzle Fox News right now. Don't miss Silberman's epic footnote in which he acknowledges that some Fox commentators lean as far to the right as commentators and reporters of the mainstream outlets lean to the left. And another footnote taking aim at the feckless folks who frequently defend big tech relentless assault on free speech. Judge Silberman calls repression of political speech and large institutions with market power fundamentally un-American. The overwhelming uniformity of news bias in the United States has an enormous political impact. Judge Sieberman notes a decade ago academic studies showing that bias gives Democrat candidates an 8 to 10 point advantage. With you, when you couple it with 13 point weighted fucking liberal respondent polls for everything... You get to know why I say on this little podcast all the time, nothing they're for America wants. You're just being told that is because they weigh everything to make it come out that a majority of Americans want to have live birth abortions, take your guns, give up your fucking job, and ensure Johnny becomes Jenny. It's all a lie, but the normal American doesn't look at the inlays and realize that poll was 30. 9% Democrat, 30% or lower Republican. And now, a decade after this book publication, the press and media do not even pretend to be neutral. It should be borne in mind that the first step to take by any potential authoritarian or dictatorial regime is to gain control of the communications, particularly the delivery of news. Here's a concluding paragraph about our leftist media willingness, if not eagerness. 
<clears throat> the Torah regime to gain control of communications, particularly the delivery of news. It is fair to conclude, therefore, that one-party control of the press and media is a threat to viable democracy. It may even give rise to countervailing extremism. The First Amendment guarantees a free press to foster a vibrant trade in ideas, but a biased press can distort the marketplace. And when the media has proven its willingness, if not eagerness, to distort it is a profound mistake to stand by unjustified legal rules that serve only to enhance the press's power. That's your rig. If you don't believe that changing 80 election laws, stop counting just in five swing states overnight, 130, 100,000, 90,000 just Biden votes, no other candidate, wasn't fishy, which I've been told by my betters, is it? <clears throat> the fact that the entire media froze out Trump all of social media didn't let him speak. And in 2016, Google had a media saying, a meeting saying they can move the electorate 10 points. And they did. I don't know what's wrong with you. If I was a Republican and everything was Fox News, I would still be on this goddamn podcast every day dogging the shit out of it. Because I fought or served for 20 years in the military for the fucking constitution the freedom of speech shall not be abridged and it is completely destroyed in this country you're not allowed to say anything but what's in our media jerk off of the way the media jerk off of the week You're out here selling your COVID relief package. You're executing the COVID relief package now as well. What's next on your legislative agenda? If you notice the criticism of the COVID relief package, my Republican friends, is they say it spends too much money and it gives too many tax breaks. All these tax breaks go to the bottom 60% of the population. And guess what? They need it. The $1,400 check, child care tax credit. They don't like it because, in fact, their their idea of a tax cut is to give the Trump tax cut where 83% went to the top 1% of the people in America. You're going to be raising those taxes. Yes. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. But let's talk raw politics here. You didn't get a single Republican vote for tax cuts. How are you going to get a Republican vote for a tax increase? Oh, I may not get a, uh, but I'll get the Democratic votes for a tax increase. If we just took the tax rate back to what it was when Bush was president, top rate paid 39.6% in federal taxes, that would raise $230 billion. Yet they're complaining because I'm providing a, a, a tax credit for child care? 
for the poor, for the middle class. You just say you're not likely to get Republican votes for the tax increase. You're not likely to get Republican votes for H.R. 1, expanding voting rights, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So aren't you going to have to choose? I know you've been reluctant to do away with the filibuster. Aren't you going to have to choose between preserving the filibuster and advancing your agenda? Yes. But here's the choice. I don't think you have to eliminate the filibuster. You have to do it what it used to be when I first got to the Senate. And that is that a filibuster, you had to stand up and command the floor. Once you stopped talking, you lost that and someone could move in and say, I moved the question of. So you got to work for the filibuster. So you're for that reform. You're for bringing back the talking filibuster. I am. That's what it was supposed to be. Just put a hold on it. That's it. Yeah. It almost is getting to the point where democracy's having a hard time functioning. I'm not saying this is going to be easy, George, but I do believe there's enough Republicans over time. They haven't had that epiphany you said you were going to see in the campaign. No, no. Well, I've only been here six weeks, pal. Okay, give me a break. <laughs> been here six weeks. I think the epiphany is going to come between now and 2022. Seventy-eight percent of the people say they support this program. Fifty-two percent of Republicans. Republican voters want to be able to choose between being able to send their kid to a daycare that they can afford. It's not like uh, every Republican voter is, is uh, you know, a billionaire. You probably walked into the Oval Office as president with about as much experience, if not more experience, than any other president who's ever served. More than three decades in the Senate, eight years as vice president. So what is it about the job that surprised you, that even you didn't know? What has surprised me is that I'm not as surprised as I thought I might be. I is Major out of the doghouse? Yeah, <laughs> the answer is yes. Major was a rescue pup. Major did not bite someone and penetrate the skin. And the dog's being trained now. Our trainer at home in Delaware, he was going home. I didn't banish him to home. Jill was going to be away for four days. I was going to be away for two, so we took him home. But you turn a corner, and there's two people who don't know at all, and, you know, and, and they move, and he, he moves to protect. But he is, uh, he's a sweet dog. 85% of the people there love him. He just, all he does is lick them and wag his tail. And um, you'll see him tonight? I'm going to see him tonight, yeah. Republicans call the $1.9 trillion law a partisan spending spree. The president well aware there's no room for error. We're going to have to stay on top of every dollar spent through the American Rescue Plan. And that's what we're going to do. And tonight there are reports that in order to pay for his economic plans, the president may try to raise taxes. Asked about it today, the White House press secretary didn't deny it, but stressed no one making less than $400,000 a year will ever see their taxes go up. Their focus is solely on the most wealthy and large corporations. But David, any attempt to raise taxes is likely to face stiff opposition over on Capitol Hill. David. All right, Mary Bruce keeping watch at the White House. Mary, thank you. Mary. Or happening now, the U.S. relationship with Russia in a place it hasn't been in in decades. President Biden called Vladimir Putin a killer. Russia recalled its ambassador. Then Putin either physically threatened Biden or staged a Trumpian attack on his acuity, depending on how you look at it. CNN's Matthew Chance live in Moscow with the new twist this morning, Matthew. But of course, we've seen an extremely angry response uh, from uh, the Russians uh, over the past couple of days since the remarks by President Biden uh, that Vladimir Putin uh, was a killer. Um, uh, President, President Putin here in Russia uh, yesterday is saying that he wishes 
um, President Biden good health. That was essentially the, the summation of his uh, response to, uh, to, that, to that comment. He said he meant that without joking, without any kind of joking, without any kind of irony. That's been interpreted by in some quarters as a kind of threat to Biden. This is a man, remember, that, that you know, silences his critics or is accused of doing that um, at least. But I, I think it was more like playing into this whole situation at the moment on Russian state media, which is trying to cast President Biden as mentally frail, as too old to hold this position. That's been backed up uh, by another senior Russian official here, in fact, the former president and former prime minister, Dmitry Medvedev. And he went on state media yesterday and said, look, I met with the incumbent US President Joe Biden. He did that in 2011 at various events. He gave the impression of being a reasonable person then. However, it seems that time hasn't been kind to him. I can only quote Freud he goes on. Nothing is life is in life is more expensive than illness and stupidity. And so um, that was the former president, the former prime minister, Dmitry Medvedev, saying that. And it's sort of talking again to this whole kind of idea that's being perpetuated through the Russian media that the, the comments that Joe Biden made about President Putin were you know, impacted by his mental capabilities. It is stunning how closely, once again, Russian propaganda lines up with arguments being made by Donald Trump and his supporters. Well, I think you're right to, to note it's hard not to uh, how much there's a convergence between uh, the Russian rhetoric and attack line on Joe Biden and what we've heard from Donald Trump and his supporters, including, by the way, Donald Trump Jr. just yesterday in response to all this uh, uh, with Russia, once again, uh, putting out the exact same argument that somehow, uh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to debate Donald uh, uh, meanwhile, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is leading a delegation to the southern border today as Republicans try to seize on the new surge of unaccompanied children to the border to attack President Biden's halting of the Trump border policies. This is the Biden administration is facing a growing challenge there with more than 3,200 migrant children crossing into the U.S. last week alone. House Republicans are calling the recent influx a Biden border crisis. They say the Biden administration has made it worse by reversing those Trump-era immigration policies, including no longer requiring asylum seekers to remain on the Mexican side of the border. Democrats and immigration activists say that policy has been inhumane and had to be changed. Now the Biden... Hey, Andrea, good afternoon. Right now, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and a dozen or so Republican House members are getting a tour uh, by Customs and Border Patrol here. They're going to meet with reporters after that to talk about what they say is a crisis at the border brought on by Biden administration softening of Trump administration era immigration policies. Democrats and immigration activists say that those same draconian policies put in place by the Trump administration essentially created a time bomb here. They bottled up asylum seekers in Mexico waiting to get across the border. And now what we have is this surge in primarily unaccompanied minors coming across the border because those are the only people who can effectively apply for asylum right now based on the, uh, the Biden administration's new rules. So these folks are coming across the border right now. They are straining resources at Border Patrol. They are straining resources at HHS, which has been limited by the pandemic. The federal government is now making this larger response and we're having to see now 
now. What, if any, congressional response there will be? Do these congressional Republicans here want to make this a Biden administration scandal, or do they want to propose meaningful solutions of their own, and what do those look like in the Biden era? Those are the questions that I'll have for uh, Leader McCarthy when I get a chance to talk to him a little bit later today. There are other things that you want to accomplish with Congress. That could be hard given the filibuster. Kate, be clear. How far is the president willing to go? Specifically, would he be comfortable rolling back that 60-vote threshold? Well, what the president is not willing to do, Hallie, is to allow progress and to allow benefits the American people to be held hostage. So it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is the door is not shut for the potential for the president to throw his weight and throw his support behind eliminating that 60 vote threshold. Is that fair? One of the areas that I've been reporting on a lot is the child tax credit. Um, at advocates, the projections say that, Jen, it's going to lift something like nearly half of the kids in poverty right now out of poverty. How much muscle is President Biden willing to put behind making sure that this tax credit becomes permanent next year in a midterm year when he may have other issues and other priorities on his plate? A lot of muscle. How do you do that? What is the vehicle? Kate, when you go in and talk to the president, how much do you bring your personal experience into well, those meetings with him? Across the course of the campaign, we would be in meetings on Zoom and my kids would, you know, pop into the Zoom screen <laughs> and we would talk about how difficult it is for people to this week, President Biden signed into law nearly $2 trillion worth of stimulus designed to expedite the end of this year-long crisis. And the first direct payments for Americans in desperate need of help already are hitting bank accounts this morning. President Biden will hit the road over the next several days to tout the benefits of the plan. The White House shifting to promotion of the COVID relief law. This official release touts a collection of thank you tweets from Americans who have cash in hand. I logged into my account and I saw the direct deposit straight from the, the government. I was on the phone with my mom. I'm like, mom. I got money. The president will kick off what they're calling the help is here road tour. Great news for millions of Americans. The provision inside that huge stimulus package signed this week by President Biden that could lift millions of American children out of poverty. Democrats, though, are making no apology for including measures they say get at the root of poverty in America. Tucked inside one of the 600 pages of the new COVID relief law, a little paragraph, a life-changing one for millions of families, thousands of dollars for a child tax credit in 2021. By signing this bill into law, President Biden, with the stroke of a pen, is projected to cut child poverty by nearly half. This is more than just stimulus checks. People describe it as like Social Security for kids. There already is talk, as you know, among Democrats of expanding this child tax credit beyond this year and making it permanent. Some Democrats point out it's a real tough argument to make to say, hey, let's have this go away and bring child poverty back up to the... Now, for those that aren't up and up on everything about our media, understand if Carl Rove, all right, did an interview with Trump, would you think that was okay? Because what you just witnessed is the exact same fucking thing. George Snuffleupagus was motherfucking Clinton's chief of motherfucking staff. And in our country, somehow, some way, we believe that's okie dokie artichokey. And not all that. He is a unbiased news source. I mean, 
we've done it on the show. The connections between every fucking Democrat administration, every liberal donor family, every fucking person, producer, cameraman, network exec, they all come out of central casting for the Democrats. That's where they're all from. None of them are conservative. And yes, over on Fox, you have people that came from, they, they become analysts, or in the case of Dana Perino, she was actually a press sec, and she went and worked for a news agency. But, what is that, two or three, for fuck's sake? Everything you see! Meet the press, Chuck Todd. He was a damn staffer. His wife is a fucking best friend of Jennifer Paul Mary, who ran the ma the fucking campaign for fucking Hillary and does Democratic consulting. Jake Tapper, Dem staffer. Don Lemon. Anderson Cooper. Motherfucking, that stupid dude chick, Rachel Maddow. Do I need to say anything? They're activists for LGBTQ. Would they be conservative? Cuomo from the Cuomo family. Berman, Dem staffer. Everybody was a Dem staffer. They worked on a Dem campaign. They're associated with some Dem. That just doesn't fly. But within there, you heard everything. It's always perfect, or it's going to ruin his thing, or it's going to hurt his chances. It's going to take this. It's going to hurt that. Oh, we can't have that. This is so bad. We want him to be perfect. So, I'm going to flip the script, and we'll come back to the other Netnoid Biden stuff. COVID, the border, shit like that. Um when we come back, because I want to get into the racist section, because this is a perfect analysis of our media. So I'm going to play our bumper for Everything is Racist, and then I'm going to play the Atlanta shooting. And understand, it's it's a little long, but it, it's not what I could have, I could have played hours. And then I'm going to do something that I should have done. But in the trying to do shows and a million things and blah, 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 and, and just not being in the mood to fight Google, I didn't want to look up the actual stats. Well, Ben Shapiro did. And it's exactly what I knew it was and what I espoused on the show. But, yeah, let, let's play the media first, their initial reactions, including a CNN anchor Fucking choking up on TV. That's objective. We're real news, Mr. President. And then we're going to do a couple articles, and then we're just going to lay the motherfucking lumber on why the media is garbage. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. 
acknowledgement because we are a community that has felt invisible for so long and for the president to come and say, I see you, I hear you, I feel your pain. And to elevate this issue, I think, um, I think a lot of us, it's a cathartic moment because this first step is to be seen and to be heard. And the fact that you have the vice president also acknowledging the history of racism against Asians that we have faced since the day that the Chinese immigrants started immigrating to the United States. I know that um, President Biden, I know the leaders there that I spoke with wanted the president, the vice president to call on the investigators to investigate these shootings as a hate crime. They didn't get that, but I think what they did get was a lot of comfort to know that we are being heard. You know, there was also that mention of from the vice president about Asians feeling like the perpetual foreigner. That is so true because when you are a foreigner in your own country, you are dehumanized, you're not taken seriously. If there is a crime committed against you or your community, even law enforcement might dismiss it as the perpetrator, as just having a bad day. So would you have the president and the vice president elevating this issue, putting in the spotlight and saying, I hear you, let's find a way to protect the Asian American community you've been hurting for very long, not just this past year because of COVID-19. You guys have been hurting for a long time. And yes, we are seeing a huge surge in anti-Asian hate. People who felt emboldened, many will tell you because of the Trump administration's flippant use of terms like the China virus and the Kung flu is a huge difference in a juxtaposition between these two administrations. And I feel like a lot of the Asian community is breathing a sigh of relief for that one simple step of being seen and being acknowledged, Pam. This is obviously so deeply uh, personal for you, Amra. Just tell us, if you would, what your personal experiences have been and why this moment for you personally is just so touching. Well, Pam, you know, I've been doing a lot of soul searching and, you know, I want a lot of people to understand why it was there was such a visceral reaction when Captain Jay Baker of the Cherokee County Sheriff's Department said, um, that the suspect was, you know, just having a bad day. Um, and that's because for so long, Asian Americans have felt like they have not been taken seriously. They have not been seen. And I was thinking about, well, when did I feel this way? And, you know, I grew up in a community where we were probably the only Asian family on our street. And I remember, um, you know, cars driving by. We lived on a busy street. I'd hear racial slurs. I remember my father's car, our family car, getting vandalized a couple times and once someone had thrown a hammer into the window of my dad's car. And so when you couple these incidents, you bring them together, you know, of course, you're automatically thinking, okay, this, these are racially motivated. People just don't want us here because we're Asian. And I remember we called the police, filed a police report. I was translating for my parents and just the attitude of the police officer. Um, he didn't really seem to understand the fear that that kind of attack instilled in my family and the pain that we were relieving over and over because you know it's not the first time that we've been told to go back to our country or being called you know China virus and so this is our experience this is our reality 
Um, and it's, it's relieving. Um, I think we're breathing a huge sigh of relief to know that people are finally listening and hearing our stories and caring about it and even trying to put in legislation, pushing for legislation, uh, you know, that would stiffen penalties for hate crimes related to COVID-19. You have been a victim of hate speech like this re repeatedly, and you made a really important point recently, and that is that this country has a long history of legacy and hate and racism against Asians, um, just going back to the internment camps. And you also point to the this as just being the latest round of scapegoating. It, 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 it makes me wonder if you think we've learned much as a country. Yeah, you, you have to wonder. And this is a history that people don't really know well. And that's what it means to be an Asian American in this country today. You're largely invisible in the discussion about racism. People are surprised to hear about anti-Asian hate. They don't know the legacy of the Chinese Exclusion Act, the beating death of Vincent Chin, and the internment of 125,000 Japanese American citizens in camps on American soil when we blame them for Pearl Harbor. And yeah, it happens to me, it, it happens all the time. I've been called the Manchurian AG. Uh, my name has been mocked. And just yesterday, someone accused me of being an agent of the Chinese Communist Party. I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. But, you know, I'm the Attorney General. I, I can take it. If it happens to, to me, it must happen uh, a lot to everyday people who, who aren't Attorneys General, who don't have the same protection and public profile that I do. And I worry about families across Connecticut and across this country. This is happening at a time in this country where you have a broader rise in right-wing white supremacist extremism. There was an intelligence report yesterday that identifies this as the greatest, well, re-identifies it because the data has been there for some time, as the greatest domestic terrorism threat. And as you note, politicians have given license to these kinds of feelings against Asians, against blacks, against Latinos. Finally, if this requires an international effort, is the U.S., in your view, more a leader in fighting this or today part of the problem? I've seen uh, uh, in the U.S. fantastic demonstrations of uh, anti-racism. I've seen the use uh, uh, in the leadership of those demonstrations. Uh, and to a certain extent, this movement then spread all over the world. Uh, the U.S. has an enormous influence. Uh, the, 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 the soft power of the U.S. Uh, is, uh, is something that uh, it is clear in, in culture, in art, in many other aspects. And so what happens, what happens in the U.S. inevitably has a strong influence in other parts of the world. And so uh, this kind of natural leadership uh, creates a, a particular responsibility uh, for uh, United States uh, leaders and for uh, the, the American communities, because indeed what happens here uh, is known everywhere and inevitably reflects uh, in other parts of the world. Including, sadly, the challenge from extremism, white supremacy. Thanks very much to the U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. That was Vice President Kamala Harris, the nation's first Asian American vice president, addressing the tragic shootings in Atlanta that have left eight people dead, including six women of Asian descent. Police say that the motive is unclear and they have not determined if this was a hate crime. 
But the attacks have Asian Americans all across this country on edge and frightened. The NYPD is deploying counterterrorism officers to Asian communities throughout the city out of an abundance of caution. The attacks come amid a devastating wave of anti-Asian violence, spurred by racist rhetoric from Donald Trump and the right, attempting to shift blame for the pandemic onto the Asian American community in this country. One group tracking anti-Asian hate says they've received reports of nearly 3,800 incidents since last March, with more than two-thirds of those attacks reported by women. Joining us now is actress Olivia Munn. Uh, I see all of your tweets, and I see you speaking out on this, and I'm sorry that it takes a tragedy to have a really important conversation, but I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. The only person I could find that said anything right in this was Karen Atta from the Washington Post. The white man who murdered several Asian women told the police he's not racist, so it must be true, media, basically. Guys, do better. You catch me? That isn't even positive. It's not positive. They're not going to do it. She's a fucking goddamn race baiter. Jennifer Rubin, Judd Legum, they got they guy who just murdered six Asian women says it wasn't racially motivated, but maybe we should just not take his word. Just as we do not take racist excuses that they are not saying racist things. Matt Haney, they're already working to frame this as about sex addiction or lashing out. Uh, police said it. Everybody. Don Rhodes, Tommy Vitor, Max Tanny, Haynes Brown, um, Ted Lieu says it's Trump. Ibram uh, e- 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 X. Kendi, who every, every fucking never-Trumper who was a conservative said to me, or oh, read his book, there's some interesting things in there. No, there's not. He's a racist. It's like reading fucking... I don't know. I don't know any fucking KKK Grand Wizards. The same fucking thing. Locking arms with Asians American facing this lethal wave of anti-Asian terror. Their struggle is my struggle. Our struggle is against racism and white supremacist domestic terror. Oh, really? Because if that's the case, you need to police up the black community. It's completely immaterial what actually happened in this particular case. We have a narrative and the narrative must be pushed. And the narrative is, of course, that the uptick in racial crimes against Asian Americans are being driven specifically by white supremacy and they're being driven by whiteness more broadly. Now, understand when the left says white supremacy, the left doesn't actually mean actual honest to God white supremacists who are overtly racist and believe in the supremacy of the white race. They don't mean that. They mean Ibram X. Kendi type whiteness or Ibram X. Kendi type white supremacy in that you do not agree with the baseline reality that the left wishes to purport. And therefore, you are somehow broadly guilty of crimes in which you yourself did not engage. That is why they don't need actual evidence that this particular shooter was actually a white supremacist to attribute his actions to white supremacy. Because you see, white supremacy is broader than just being a white supremacist, right? In order normally for a normal person to attribute a shooting crime to a white supremacist, the person has to be a white supremacist. Like, for example, when there was a, a, a shooting at the West Valley JCC when I was a kid, it was done by an actual honest-to-God white supremacist, and you could actually name the guy, you could look at the groups he was a member of, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, right? That was an actual white supremacist crime, and you could tell because the guy was an actual white supremacist, right? Same thing at the Chabad of Poway shooting, 
in the last couple of years, right? You can tell when people are over white supremacists, usually they're pretty obvious and clear about it. But the left wants to attribute this more broadly to the problem of whiteness, not just white supremacists, but white supremacy, which they say means the system as a whole, the system as a whole is responsible and particularly white people are responsible for this. So they broadened out the terminology here. Now let's just be clear on this. We don't know the motive here. And also if we are going to examine the uptick in anti-Asian hate crime, we might actually at some point, you know, want to actually look at like the stats. We might want to look at who is, who is actually purveying crime against Asians in the United States. So the most recent statistics that I have seen where we actually have stats broken down by the, by the race of the offender, right? Hate crime stats broken down by the race of the offender this is from the Bureau of Justice Statistics circa 2018. So unless this wildly changed in 2020, which seems somewhat unlikely to me, could happen, but I think it's somewhat unlikely. Unless that wildly changed, this is a fairly good indicator of exactly who is committing crimes against Asian Americans in the United States, hate crimes against Asian Americans. And when people say, well, we, data is not racist, data is just data. So if you don't like the data, that would be your problem. Okay, so the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 2018, we're now looking in the line that says victim race ethnicity Asian, right? You're a victim of an anti-Asian hate crime. So according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, there are 182,230 violent incidents against Asian Americans on the basis of race, right? Uh, by victim and offender race or ethnicity, percent of violent incidents by victim and offender race or ethnicity. The offender's race or ethnicity against Asians, the offender's race or ethnicity, 24.1% of the people who victimized Asians were Asian. 7% of people who victimized Asians were Hispanic. 24.1% of people who victimized Asians were white. 27.5% of people who victimized Asians were black. Okay, this is according to the percent of violent incidents by victim and offender status. Right, that is, that is the, the latest stat that is available to me showing who's perpetrating violence against Asians in the United States. And actually, those stats are kind of stunning because virtually every other racial group, the vast majority of people who commit crimes against a racial group are members of the own racial group, right? If you're looking at people who are victims, if, you, if you're looking at offenders against white Americans, 62.1% of all white Americans who are victimized by violent incidents are victimized by other white people. In the black community, something like 70.3%, same table, 70.3%, of all crimes, violent crimes committed against black Americans are committed by black people. Among Hispanic Americans, 45.4% of all crimes committed against Hispanic people are committed by Hispanic people. But among Asians, but among Asians, Asian Americans are only, they, they rank like third in terms of the racial groups that victimize Asians, which is really weird. And number one is black Americans victimizing Asian Americans according to the 2018 Bureau of Justice Statistics. So normally what you'd wanna do when you look at a rise in anti-Asian hate crime is look at the source of the anti-Asian hate crime. But the problem is our media don't actually want to do that because if our media do that, what they might discover is that the source of a lot of the anti-Asian hate crimes are actually coming from another minority group, namely the black community. The same thing has happened with anti-Semitic hate crimes in the United States. A huge number of anti-Semitic hate crimes in the United States are not attributable to white supremacists. A huge percentage of anti-Jewish hate crimes in the United States are attributable to black Americans. And frankly, are very often not charged as such because it's uncomfortable for prosecutors to point out that black Americans are capable of committing hate crimes. And we've seen these hate crimes occur, right? We've seen a lot of these hate crimes actually occur on tape. For example, in San Jose, there was a, a pretty terrible incident that was caught on tape just a couple of weeks ago in which a black perpetrator just started beating the hell essentially out of an Asian person. 
Hey, there was an anti-Asian hate crime in Seattle not all that long ago in which you really had to dig to get to the, the point where you actually found the race of the perpetrator. But it turns out that the race of the perpetrator, the, the perpetrator happened to be a black person. Okay, the media will not mention the race of the perpetrator in these cases if the perpetrator happens to be black. Now, here's my rule. If you are perpetrating a hate crime, I do not care about your race. You are doing something evil. But the media do deeply care about the race because if they suggest that maybe anti-Asian hate crime should always be treated the same, well, what this would mean is that we would have to look at racism outside of white Americans. And what they want to do is say that whiteness writ large is really the problem here. They want to say whiteness writ large is really the problem. Now, here's the thing. Anti-Asian hate crimes in the United States, apparently year on year, rose about 150% in major U.S. cities. This is according to CBS News. A new study based on police department statistics across major United States cities found a nearly 150% surge in anti-Asian hate crimes in 2020, while overall hate crimes fell by 7%. The numbers reflect a growing trend of discrimination against Asian Americans during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, again, there are some confounds here. It's difficult to tell whether this is because Americans are angry at Asian people on the basis of, of COVID or whether it just turns out that a lot of people are home and a lot of people don't have jobs. And this results in an increase in violence in particular areas of particular cities. Right? It's difficult to attribute COVID motivation to all of this. And I'm yet to I, I'm not really aware that there's been a study that's been unlinking it. I'm, it's possible. I'm just not aware there's a study that's explicitly linked this stuff. The report released this week by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at CSU San Bernardino examined hate crimes in 16 of America's largest cities and found the first spikes rose alongside COVID-19 cases in March and April. New York City saw the highest jump, rising from 3 to 28. Boston and LA followed with increases from 6 to 14 and 7 to 15, respectively. Hate incidents defined by the DOJ as acts of prejudice that aren't crimes are also on the rise. And some of these people are, are suggesting that this is because of anti-Asian sentiment in the aftermath of COVID. But some of it is not about that, presumably. Some of this is, may just be about people who don't have jobs, who are, who are now home doing bad things to other people. But again, the way that the media have decided to treat this is, though, is, that, is, is, so, is that American whiteness, American white supremacy is responsible for this increase in anti-Asian American sentiment. And they're going to use this latest shooting in Atlanta in order to push forward that narrative. The shooting is an act of evil no matter what. Okay, the guy who committed the shooting is a piece of crap who should be executed. Okay, the person killed people, should go to death row, should be executed. And if the person is a white supremacist, that is a good indicator that white supremacy, like actual, honest to God, white supremacy is evil. But that's not the case that the media would like to make. The media would like to make the case that America more broadly is responsible for all of this. Anti-Asian hate only matters under certain circumstances for the media. Not two weeks ago, Yahoo News ran a piece titled Anti-Asian Violence Has Been Rampant. Here's why it's not always a hate crime. To miss why? Wait, wait till you hear why they say some anti-Asian violence is not a hate crime. We'll get to this in just one second. First, spring is springing as we speak. It is the perfect reminder to tidy up and get your life in order. Why not start by protecting your family with life insurance? Policy Genius can help you compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy for you and answer any questions you have along the way. Here's how you can get started. First, you head on over to policygenius.com in minutes. You can work out how much coverage you need. You can compare quotes to find your best price. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare policies from as little as 15 bucks a month. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Since their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, there is zero hassle. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. The best part, all the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice, 
all totally free to use. So while you're tidying up around the house this spring, why not get your life insurance organized as well? You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Feel good knowing if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and quite important to get it right. Okay, so Yahoo News talks about anti-Asian violence and they say it's not always a hate crime. Why is it not always a hate crime? Because it depends on who does it. And according to Yahoo News, as the recent wave of attacks on older Asian Americans prompts calls for action and activism, experts urge the use of precise, accurate language in discussing the violence. Weird how all of the urges to use precise and accurate language in describing the violence have gone completely out the window the moment that you have a story where the media are seeking to suggest that whiteness more broadly is responsible for anti-Asian violence. The robberies and assaults in several big city Chinatowns have led to significant media coverage and outcry from activists, many of whom have labeled the incidents hate crimes. But recent higher profile cases that have gone viral on social media aren't being investigated as such, law enforcement officials say. Officials say the occurrences don't show signs of being racially motivated. Well, you know what's an incident that doesn't show signs yet of being racially motivated is this latest one in Atlanta. That's not stopping the media. Social media posts have conflated violence against people who are Asian American with hate crimes against the community at large, tying the crimes to pandemic related racism. Some sources have declared a spike in hate crimes, citing an astronomical increase, but the figure they refer to specifically reflects New York City and New York police data obtained by NBC Asian America, which showed three anti-Asian hate crimes in 2019 and 28 last year. No hate crimes were reported this year so far. Other sources refer to 18 incidents this year involving Asian Americans in Alameda County, California, but local law enforcement said there's no proof any of them have been racially motivated. In San Francisco, six hate crimes were reported in 2019, nine the following year. In 2021, the city reported one hate crime. Not all cities reflected increases. Washington, D.C. reported a decrease. Okay, but where exactly, why, why exactly is, is the media now getting sensitive about anti-Asian hate crime reporting? Because there was a spate of videos that came out that showed, a, that, that showed unfortunately, Black Americans victimizing Asian Americans. And so as soon as those videos hit the internet, you started to see articles crop up about how this isn't really anti-Asian animus. It's just sort of normal crime. That, that is... If a hate crime is a hate crime, then a hate crime is a hate crime. Racism can come from any end of the spectrum, but you have to understand that according to leftist worldview, it cannot come from any end of the spectrum. See, racism is only capable of being attributed to white people because it has to be white people because white people have power and racism without power is not racism. This is something we have learned from the racist left. The, the reason that this matters to the left is because the left only treats Asian Americans as a victimized minority sometimes. In the same way, they only treat Jews as a victimized minority, sometimes. When a Jew in Williamsburg has the hell beat out of him by a black guy on the street, that is not considered a hate crime by folks on the left. When a Jew gets shot at the Free of Life Synagogue by a white supremacist, this is a hate crime, according to the left. Now, in my view, both are hate crimes. Hey, first of all, I, I, I have some rather serious legal objections to the terminology of hate crime in and of themselves, because all crimes in, in essence are motivated by hate and disregard for the humanity of the other person you're committing a crime against. But so long as we are having a category called hate crime, the, the guy walking down the street in a yarmulke who has the crap beat out of him by a guy walking down the street who happens to be black. That's that's just as much of a hate crime as somebody doing that. If they Now, if you pay attention to this stuff, and I'm going to put this over my face again, it's quite obvious that most of the anti-Semitic stuff, most of the Asian stuff, it's been happening with black people in New York cities and the major cities. That's where it's been happening. It's not white dudes running around going, yeah, my Fuhrer Trump said that it's the China virus and I'm going to go fuck you up, some Asian looking person that I don't know if you're actually Chinese. But uh, no, that isn't what's happening. 
but you can't know. Mm. I mean, in that soundbite, Jim Scudo literally fucking asked the UN, is an American problem? Because there's no racism anywhere. We're not uh, genocide in China. We didn't chop people's limbs off in fucking Africa. We didn't have Bosnia. No, none of that stuff happened. Just America. New Atlanta shooting specialist told people that sexual addiction indicators now may not be racially motivated to Cherokee County. So, Bob Ryan, I'm sorry, but the deaths over half a million Americans, a deadly sedition insurrection, the murders of Asian Americans, all lay at the feet of Donald Trump. We played it on this show. All these fucking cocksucking, libtard, chai latte drinking, chia pets, all called it a new Wuhan virus or a new Chinese virus. Because it wasn't called COVID when it broke. But the moment Trump said, yeah, we got us a ticket to ride. Yeah. Let's get some of that shit. MSDNC columns writes that white masculinity fetishizes and dehumanizes Asian women. Liz Plank. White masculinity fetishizes and dehumanizes Asian women and is intrinsically tied to racism. It's crucial that we don't erase the way that misogyny and racism operate together to justify killing Asian women. Yes, black people, listen to Liz Plank and other Asians. Oh, and Latinos. You're all KKK. Trump brainwashed black people. Really? I didn't know that. That That's pretty interesting because I didn't know that. I, I thought, no, it, it, Trump was just, you know, Trump and shit. But, you know, if it wasn't this, because I'm not going to read the rest of it. It's the same. The shooter targeted. Uh, shut the fuck up. There are no women cock trap. Shut. Shut your cock trap. There's no women. You can't have it both ways. You can't say gender is a social construct. Race is a social construct. Sexual orientation is a social construct. And then pull out, oh, that's sexist. Misogyny. I think the most misogynistic thing there is is a dude to pretend to be a girl so he can win at fucking sports. Just throw it out there. I'm not like a tree-hugging liberal, but I think it's pretty fucked up. I said it when it started. I did a Braveheart skit on this show about the whole fucking bathroom. I don't want my daughter, who hates me, but that's okay. I don't want my wife. I don't want my sister. I don't want my mother taking a dump next to a dude. I'm all for this shit if you do the full money. Once you chop the cock, then you can call yourself a girl. But if you got a twig and berry, you're still a dude. It's called biology. Trust the science, I say. Sarah Rao. A white man has just assassinated eight Asians in Atlanta. Instead of sending thoughts and prayers, white people need to dismantle the toxic whiteness that is killing us. Whiteness is terrorism. The entire world. Thoughts of prayers. For you. Because you got a lot of hate. <clears throat> Lauren Chin brings out what nobody wants to hear. 
hey, so now that we're all on board with stopping anti-Asian prejudice, how about you guys stop penalizing us in admission processes because we're too academically successful? Thank. No joke. I was too nervous to put down that I was white or Asian or an admission application because I knew it would hurt me. Remember, they are so woke in the woke that Persians are white. It's melanin. Asians really aren't, they aren't really a, a group until they, as Ben Shapiro said, can be used as a cudgel. And as we talk about the culture wars, people wonder why you get so hateful about it. This is what's coming. Matthew Chains. Those who commit hateful but non-criminal conduct should be confronted by the NYPD, says Bill de Blasio. I assure you, if an NYPD officer calls you or shows up at your door to ask about something you did that makes people think twice, and we need that. So we need the minority report. Thought crime. And it's nonstop. It just never stops. PBS doc exploring hate. Trump galvanized extremist army, they say. It's an army of extremism. Really? Because if you ask me that this is on a TV all the time and people can talk like this, this is probably making some extremists too. This has nothing to do with race. Why distinguish between rioters by race? Has nothing to do with race. Why say that the places where the election was rigged, which it was not, are predominantly minority areas? Why would you bring back the most odious laws suppressing the black vote almost by design since Jim Crow? You want a nice activity? Google Jim Crow laws in states where they existed and compare them to the language, the phraseology, and the intention of what's being sold in over 40 states right now, some 250 plus bills. Take a look and be shocked at the similarity. Look, he and anyone in that party who's for these laws are welcome to come on the show. Explain how these are about keeping the election safe. And that's what you have to do is limit access to the polls. Tell me how that makes it safe. Tell me why you call H.R. 1 the devil's work. Because it is the only single act that can stop this wave of legislation. And here's what I think. I've never even heard you use that devil's work thing about Obamacare. Why about this? My argument is this is becoming some kind of perverse holy war for you guys. Well, I think the historic context is important here. We've really only had free elections in this country for about 50 years anyway. This was actually the norm. Until you go to the activism of the 1960s, it was routine for large swaths of Americans to just be absolutely locked out of voting. Black people were locked out of voting. Women were locked out of voting. Asian people were locked out of voting. What we're seeing the Republican Party do now is actually go back to the norm of American voting behavior, the norm of American voter suppression. So we are fighting for a future that we really have only had for 40 or 50 years. So when when Senator Warnock is talking about, hey, this is for democracy, this is for our future, he's not just speaking pie in the sky. He's literally saying, I live in a state where this was the history of the state. I am in the state where the blood of John Lewis is in the ground for people who fought to make sure that everybody has a right to vote. You know, there's two ways you can look at this. If your theory that 
Trump brainwashed people to do stuff. The GOP, Fox, Ben Shapiro, PragerU, this podcast, not that many people listen to, but anything conservative or negative of the Prague agenda is dangerous, then why isn't that dangerous? I mean, I've said it before, I I am totally astounded more righties aren't getting murdered. But we documented anybody that went on Facebook, Twitter, had conservatives in their feed. For four years, it was okay for people with red hats to get beat the fuck down. Women, old, it didn't matter. And our media ignored it. Yet they knew every day they were inciting people. They were telling people, you must confront them. You must get in their face. Vox, the history of tensions and solidarity between black and Asian American communities. Buried in this is the stats. Ida Bay Wells, a 1619 author, or what I like to call a fucking racist and a liar, last night's shooting and the appalling rise of anti-Asian violence stems from a sick society where nationalism has again been stoked and normalized. Anti-black and anti-Asian racism and violence run in tandem in the U.S. Both groups were brought here for labor, but never meant to be citizens. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whites were slaves, too. I don't know. We're not going to talk about that. Columbia University hosting six separate graduation ceremonies based on income level, race, ethnicity, and orientation. So tell me this. If America is built on racism, why is that okay? You know, what people don't want to realize is these same fucking people that get up every day are from the fucking party that didn't want to repeal slavery, who made Jim Crow, who formed the KKK. Those are all liberals. But because of their craziness, we are now Ron DeSantis. They're going to exclude critical race. Conservative states are doing it, and they have every reason to do it. Because it's their dictum to do it. Gavin Newsom claims people trying to recall him are conservative extremists. The U.S. Army introduces its chief diversity officer whose aim is to make the force as diverse as the nation it defends. Extremism could tear apart cohesive teams. Colonel Timothy Holman, the Army Chief Diversity Officer, has his aim is clear. Do what we can to help open a path for future Army leaders and make the force as diverse as the nation it defends. We don't need to win wars. We need to be diverse. Here's the reality, as I've said every fucking time this comes up on the show, and I know it's repetitive. We're already doing that. I didn't have a white star major or first sergeant. We already promoted on diversity. <sighs> Top enlisted leader. This is a real thing. 
Exclusive Biden admin halts Navy operations, orders sailors to undergo chilling stand-down training. The training we received this month was rushed through in the wake of the Washington, D.C. riot. The course, which was given in a PowerPoint deck, included a slide defining extremism. One would expect a broad catch-all phrase that makes it clear that any radical activity undermining our nation or promoting criminal activity would not be tolerated. But that would be wrong. Extremism was narrowly defined as supremacist beliefs only. That is, nothing else. Nothing about anarchism, nothing about any group that might be found on the left. Everyone in the room of every race, incidentally, had a collective hush as the chilling effect of this clearly biased definition dawned on our team. As one person on our team put it, why does the DOD only care about one kind of extremism? Why do they refuse to talk about Antifa? Why is extremist, Why is, is it extremist to attack a Capitol Police officer, but not extremist to attack a Portland Police officer? Some troops see Capitol riots, BLM protests as similar threats, top enlisted leaders say. Some troops have drawn equivalencies between the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol and last year's protests for racial justice during recent stand-down to address extremism, worrying the military's top enlisted leader. In Thursday briefing with the porters of the Pentagon, Chief Master Sergeant Ramon C.Z. Colon Lopez, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs said that some troops have asked when the January 6th riot is brought up, how come you're not looking at the situation that was going on in Seattle prior to that? And then Jack Probasek. The Pentagon is freaking out because the extremism stand-downs are backfiring and the troops keep asking about BLM riots in Antifa. Because they're right. A bunch of 70-year-olds that go up there and fucking die other than one person who got shot in the face and we still don't know why she was unarmed. It was the whole sole purpose of the summer of love, supposedly. But she's white. Never mind. We, we don't fucking care. Got it. Got it. That's horrible. But... Six to sixty-six billion dollars of damage. Ah, three dozen cops killed. Over a thousand injured. Fifty citizens murdered. Countless buildings razed. Oh, come on! It's about social justice, you racist. Then, if that's not bad enough, state the problem. State Department, Politico, Anthony Bilkin, State Department is racing to address 232-year-old problem. The overwhelming and entrenched whiteness of the nation's oldest government agency. Whiteness is a problem. So we're not going to hire on the most qualified, the people that can forward our country in the best direction. We're not going to hire people who are best to win our wars. We're just going to woke the fuck out of the world. Mm. That's fantastic, man. That's good shit. It's good fucking shit. Obama, Obama campaign alumnus Ben Laboot left with no choice but to delete his hot Equality Act take after a scary number of bigots started pouncing. Dan McLaughlin. Oh, the empty feeling when a bad take gets deleted before you can dunk on it. Ben Laboot, if you can't vote for something called the Equality Act, you're telling on yourself. Because it's not about equality. It's about superiority. 
You are basically enshrining in all our institutions and our federal law that it's okay to prejudice, discriminate against people that are white or what used to be minorities with pale skin. Because it's not about white anymore. It's just about your skin color. If you're pale and you know what, clap your hands and go to the back of the line. Circuit judge dissent. Oh, I already read that. Sorry, I doubled up. Corrupt media cover for left-wing rioters see peaceful protests because it didn't stop. We haven't stopped ripping shit up. Vigils were held across the country on Saturday to remember Breonna Taylor on the one-year anniversary of her death. They never show that. They never show any of it. They just ignore it. Two other woke things will go to the uh, border and COVID. Women tend to be smaller than men, and a gun is an effective equalizer. Normalizing slapping men in the face when they've crossed the line. This trended all over the place. Normalizing slapping men. There are no men. There are no women, and you should not lay hands on anybody. Slate advice, sure. Abort your child and tell your family it is a miscarriage. Yeah, that's a whole article. That's good stuff. And so is this border crisis. That's not a crisis. It's not a crisis. If you say it's a crisis, you're a fucking racist. And Florida has more instances of the UK variant than any other state. Officials in Savannah, Georgia, in the meantime, just a little bit north, are trying to avoid a similar scene. The city braces for more than 30,000 St. Patrick's Day tourists. They've already canceled the parade there, but hotels in the area are near 90% capacity. Let's bring in New York Times reporter and travel reporter, I should mention, Torero Muzezawa, um, who is helping us uh, kick off our future of travel week here at MSNBC. Torero, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Um, that video out of Miami, uh, I was just pausing to look at it. It's absolutely wild. Why are spring breakers flocking to South Florida in particular right now? You know, it's a popular spring break destination every single year. You know, even last year, at this time, there were lots of people in Miami Beach and South Beach just trying to party and have a good time. You know, people feel like they shouldn't be stopped from traveling. And for the few who have been vaccinated, they feel like, hey, I've been vaccinated. I'm safe. Why can't I go? Um, so, you know, that footage feels like it's from 2019, but mm-hmm. it's it's not, right? People just feel like they deserve to go travel. It's warm there. They've been cooped up for a year. And they don't care about the rules anymore. It, it's kind of crazy. I was just down there about three weeks ago, and um, that is the mentality that is going on there. It's as if COVID didn't exist. The situation at the border has become a lightning rod for criticism from Republicans. They're seizing on the issue politically at a moment when the White House is trying to keep the focus on the COVID relief law. 
We want to dive into the politics of this current moment as Republicans try to keep focus on a border emergency. In some ways, they've sabotaged our immigration policy, and this is why we're here. This is a, a an impossible situation in some ways because, in many ways, the the asylum process was was essentially destroyed by Stephen Miller. They sort of blew it up. And so it is an extra mess. It's hard to look at Republicans in Congress and see that they're willing to, that they want to solve this problem. I mean, look, I've, I've watched the immigration issue. I've watched both parties at times um, duck a potential compromise because they think the politics will help them. I think Democrats did that in 2010. This is what it looks like now with Republicans, that they're almost rooting for a problem so they can walk away from it. The U.S. is holding some 13,000 unaccompanied minors after a surge in arrivals that began in January when President Biden took office. The rush to open new holding facilities suggests the new administration was not ready for this migration, and critics say it should have been. Within minutes of filming a processing center on the border, agents ask us to leave. So you can't come out here unescorted. The media's access to federal-run sites has been restricted, making it harder to understand how the process is working. But under a bridge that connects Mexico to the United States, we were able to see dozens of children and adults waiting for processing. Families are given water, snacks, and foil blankets while they wait to officially enter the system. The unaccompanied minors are first held in short-term centers like this. The only pictures provided are from the government. But lawyers tell us children are going hungry, some showering once in seven days and in conditions so overcrowded that they had to take turns sleeping on the floor. President Biden is promoting the benefits of his $1.9 trillion COVID relief package in trips all around the country. The first of those trips was to Pennsylvania yesterday. And our Ed O'Keefe is traveling with the president in Wilmington, Delaware this morning. Ed, good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. That situation at the border is becoming a big political problem for the Biden administration and is in some ways distracting from the focus that they're trying to keep this week and next week on the American Rescue Plan. The president outselling and explaining what exactly is in the legislation, hoping to take full advantage of what for now is very popular legislation. Is uh, the White House or DHS instructing border agents to refuse ride-along requests? from reporters, because that's what a lot of our folks on the ground are hearing. Again, I think we've seen, uh, watching a number of the reports you all do, a number of Border Patrol uh, officials who are quoted in them, who are appear in them, and certainly from the White House, we support that. But, I mean, our reporters used to be able to get ride-alongs during the Trump administration, mm -hmm. and you all came in and promised to be the most truthful and transparent administration, and, and you all, you know, oversee the Department of Homeland Security. So if you all wanted to grant access to the press, couldn't you just tell DHS to do it? Again, we fully support transparency. You know, one of the biggest criticisms of the Trump administration's Remain in Mexico policy was that it overwhelmed all these border towns in Mexico and created pretty dangerous living conditions for these migrants. And so now you have the exact same thing happening. Even though you all have reversed, rescinded that policy, these border towns are overwhelmed and the president is saying, do not come. So how is the situation on the ground in Mexico any different? Is there a limit or a cap to the number of unaccompanied minors that are going to be allowed into the U.S.? 
a limit or a cap? Should, so should we send some kids who are 10 back at a certain point? Is that what you're asking me? I'm, I'm not setting the policy here. I'm just asking you what the Biden administration's policy is. Is there a limit to the number of, of children that will be allowed in? I mean, the numbers we're hearing now, 565 on average every day. I, I'm just curious what the what the end game is here, how many ultimately would be allowed in? Well, I think where, where we are is we're focused on some of the very specific numbers. Our policy continues to be we're not going to send a... That's right. Look, this St. Patrick's Day, it's worth recalling that one of the first anti-immigrant movements in American politics, the so-called Know Nothing Party, channeled its anger at Irish and Catholic immigration. Now we have an Irish Catholic president, but the politics of immigration panic are still very much with us. Remember the migrant caravan that dominated coverage before the 2018 midterms and then largely disappeared from the airwaves after Election Day? Well, Republicans are beating the border crisis drum again, halfway through Joe Biden's first 100 days. But just how much is fact and how much is partisan fiction? Let's dig into the data. First, there is a spike of apprehensions at the southern border, over 100,000 in February alone. And that included nearly 9,600 kids, many unaccompanied by adults. Now, the recent rise began in the final months of Trump's term, but it's escalated since Biden took office. Now, the border is not open. That's false. But it is fair to say that Biden's retraction of a Trump policy, which made people seeking asylum wait on the Mexican side of the border, has contributed to the rise. Now, you may have heard accusations of hypocrisy in the detention of underage migrants. So is this just a redux of the kids in cages policy from the Trump years? No. And there's an important reason why. The Trump administration intentionally pursued a policy of separating children from their parents when they crossed the border. As then Attorney General Jeff Sessions said, we need to take away children. The cruelty was the point. The kids now held in detention came across the border without their parents. So this is not a child separation policy, but it is a humanitarian crisis. A new U.N. report seems to back up President Trump's claims about asylum seekers, or some of them. It finds that only a small percentage of migrants left their home countries because of violence or insecurity. William Lajeunesse is live in Los Angeles with this. Hi, William. Well, Dana, that is the question. Are the migrants we're seeing at the border right now victims of persecution, and that's the legal standard, or are they telling a story to get in? So here's the standard set by then-candidate Joe Biden. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. But reports from the U.N.'s Organization for Migration suggest most asylum seekers are not oppressed because of race, religion, or politics. It interviewed thousands of Central Americans who returned home. 75% they went to the United States for a better life, 5% to join family in America, just 6% left because of violence or insecurity. The UN also interviewed migrants forced by President Trump to wait in Mexico for their hearing. Again, about half wanted a better life, a third to join relatives, just 1% cited violence. But what's really interesting is why they gave up and returned home. 31% got tired of waiting in Mexico. 31% were denied asylum, so they got due process. 25% missed family back in their home country. 5% ran out of money. Only 3% left Mexico because of insecurity or violence. Anytime you can dog CNN like that, it's so beautiful. I mean, so beautiful. Look at anything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Avila, he's an activist. He's not a journalist. Ever. 
Byron York notes Biden admin has imposed an informational blackout. Now, let's just be honest, even if you hated Trump, if Trump would have blacked out the border, what would have happened? What would have happened? NBC refuses to admit there's a border crisis. Blue Check Journalist explains why it's actually good this is happening. New York Times, of course. Of course it's the New York Times. Migrant children are being forced to sleep on gym mats with foil sheets and go for days without showering as the Border Patrol struggles to handle thousands of young Central Americans who are surging across the southwest border. Ty Copen. This is awful, but the main reason we didn't see this last year is that Trump administration turned everyone, including children, back into Mexico when they did even worse conditions. The American public respond to it more as a out-of-sight, out-of-mind then. It's Biden. It's good. AP, report that Republicans are seizing, pouncing on immigration. Of course, that angle is going to happen. And then we get into just the most stupid fucking shit ever. Because they got caught trying to change the districts that are turning red because of their border shit and became too conservative, they're now going to fly... Thousand, thousand family members and children have crossed the Rio Grande, and a thousand more are waiting to be intake. They're going to move to the Canadian border. They're moving them to blue states. Then they signed a six-month award for 1,200 hotel rooms, and you and I are going to pay $86 million to house illegals. They're here illegally. They broke the fucking law. I tweeted, and I got liked on Twitter, there was a fucking vet genocide. It's not under 16 and a half a day. It was 22. There was a vet pandemic of homelessness. We didn't ingest $86 million. And then if you take it off the vet and just take it to normal Americans who've lost their jobs. Me and my wife both can't get jobs for COVID. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to give me a fucking hotel. I've served my country for 20 years. Do I deserve any perks or bennies? Freebies? No. I'm white. I don't vote like they want me to. Go fuck yourself. Eat cat food. And then the most disgusting thing that our media just didn't even cover. The GOP put up a bill... Require them to get COVID tests before they could come in the country. And the House Democrats blocked it. Fucking blocked it. So you're a piece of shit if you're in Florida or Georgia or any state that's turned back on and you have a fucking soda with a couple friends. The very funeral that I went to is evil to CNN. But every motherfucking illegal that hopefully will vote for them. Yeah, you come on in, babe. You got fucking Ebola? No big deal. We'll send you to a red state. Then next, some quick COVIDs. We'll do this American closest pick out. New York Times seizing GOP hurts the USA during a pandemic with its bogus culture wars. I'm not going to read it. I just wanted to read the synopsis because you got to be fucking shitting me. You guys are trying to cancel Dr. Seuss. The Rand Paul thing, which I would have covered, but I'm not going to. 
Kappa ruled out Sanjay Gupta to try to come and defend that. Understand, if you've had the virus, if you had the antibodies, if you've been vaccinated, there is no scientific reason to wear a mask, let alone three, like Dr. Fucky. There's no reason for that. You're not a transmitter. Four-year-old babies getting booted off airports or airplanes. They're not a transmitter. It is theater. And I'm not saying that because I've sat next to Rand Paul, and I think he's one of the smartest motherfuckers I ever met. But if anybody wants to research the tape, I wouldn't vote for him. I don't like the guy. But the point of the matter is, he's very intelligent, and he's a fucking doctor. There's no scientific method for any of this stuff. They're just doing kabuki theater. Everything about the left is theater. None of it is ever true. It's only grown at about 10%. Because I have the NTC on my brain. We used to do an end-of-cycle roast of people. And the true, the, the story you could come up for the snapback, and the which was the fuck-up award, which I think I won once because I blew up my Jeep. Well, I didn't. Somebody else blew it up. Or my Humvee. And there was a, the best OC. The blue... No. Maybe it wasn't the best. It was like the... Whatever. There were some awards and there were jokes. And the the rules of it, it only had to be grounded in like 10% troop. You could embellish all you fucking wanted. And the team me and Scott were on, the guy was looking up at a lawyer. He's now a general. And just a great guy. And he invented the word heniosity. And then he went and just went about just scourging, just scouring, or I don't know the analogy. People just dogging the shit out of him. And it was usually based on about a smidgen of truth. But he made Perry Mason and Matlock look like they were fucked up. What else do I got? Yeah. Yeah. We'll close on this. What in the hell is this? Anna Navarro gets busted trying to memory hole her super racist vaccination tweet. Tweet. See, this is another reason to bring back Anna Navarro. She celebrates with Uncle Luke. Luke Real One. Take care of your vaccine business, people. Get it, get it, get it. Me so vaccinated was her tweet on the very week that Chinese or Asian people were murdered by white supremacy, which wasn't white supremacy, but we're going to say it anyway. Hmm. That's good. That's good shit. Which brings us to This is America. One of the worst things that ever happened into our country ever was John Stewart. John Stewart indoctrinated a whole generation of dumbasses who were smoking pot eating Cheetos in their basement and living off their fucking families, that that was news. So late night news is the news that a lot of the millennial and under 30 crowd consume. And as stated, we'll start with uh, Seth Meyers literally saying that it's imperative that they steal elections. We'll have Colbert, a piece of shit cocksucker, who I'd just mud hole stomp if I could, with Schumer, and we brought on the old press secretary from West Wing to talk about Pisaki. And I'll discuss on the other side.
Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has promised a scorched earth Senate if Democrats change the filibuster to pass sweeping and urgently needed democracy reforms as Republicans across the country unleash a tidal wave of draconian new voting restrictions. Our democracy is currently constituted is simply not a level playing field. In fact, it's arguably never been a level playing field. Let's talk about the big bold change that uh, may be coming to the Senate. The, the, the United States is a representative democracy. The Senate might be the least representative part of that government because 45 million more people are represented by only 50% of the senators. The Democrats right. represent 45 million more people than the Republicans. The filibuster is the least democratic aspect of our least democratic part of our government. Are you going to make changes to it because... It seems like everybody, including Joe Manchin, seems to be okay with the idea of at least changing what the filibuster means. Many people noticed that Jen Psaki, President Biden's press secretary, is giving <gasps> off major C.J. Craig vibes. Wow. What do we think wow. about this? I'm incredibly uh, flattered that you would put us side to side, side by side like that. I think she is, she's the real life C.J. Craig. She's. You see what they do. They only put up the liberal side. They only say why this is beneficial to the country. They don't talk about any other opposing views. And they put it in a cliff note with some comedy. They only bring on Democrats every night. They make a liar Pisaki the real deal. Because if you never watched the West Wing, it was super liberal. And they all love Clinton and la da 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 these are the same people that want to shut down Fox News. They're the same people who want to shut down the Daily Wire. They're the same people that want to shut down any conservative outlet there is. Because they are so driven to own this narrative and brainwashing of America. Because it's the only way they get elected. When people are presented with the facts, they know Democrats are fucking liars. I'm not saying... Republicans fall down from Moses' tablets, but they don't lie as openly as this because they can't. They are held accountable by the media. And the most scariest thing about this, as I was driving, I was listening to a passel of Tucker Carlson shows because he puts it out on a podcast, and I listened to all my Ben Shapiro's that I hadn't caught up on on forever. And it struck me, and I'm not saying it's my idea. I'm just saying it just struck me. This is what this last four years has accentuated more than any other time in our history. If you keep repeating lies over and over and over and over, they become truths. People believe. And that's all our media does. They put a mantra that is Democrat. They repeat it over and over. Then when people say that's false, they call it disinformation or they call them racist, white supremacists, and they go back to repeating it. And they brainwash the country. And the most amazing thing is that's how a house plant, as Ben Shapiro calls it, I call him the sock pucket, puppet, became president. You di he didn't have to talk about his policies. Rightly so, he probably doesn't know what the fuck he's signing. He didn't know any of the policies because he's just a figurehead. He's a smiling old man that's non-threatening as they threaten democracy on a level that's insane. That threatening democracy is voter ID.
the very thing you need to do to get paint. I was carded in a fucking Dollar General yesterday getting clear coat for my wife. Paint needs an ID. But voting doesn't to these people. And they repeat it and repeat it and people believe it. They believe, hey, we needed to change 80 voting laws because of COVID. When you get into the particulars that allowed people to vote and it didn't matter where the vote came from, whether it was signed, whether it was confirmed, whether it was legible, whether it was the person who actually was supposed to be doing it, it didn't matter when it showed up, it didn't matter anything. And they want to enshrine that in HR1 to be permanent. Two weeks after an election, a vote's still valid. So that the Democrats can go get enough votes like they did on this last election. They just waited until they got their votes. And normal policies, it probably would have been called. But they manufactured fucking votes. If you don't think they manufactured votes and Sock Puppet got 81 million votes, you're on crack. You can't excuse it as Trump's so bad people did it. We've never had 81 million people. 81 million people didn't vote for Obama, and that's the time when every black person in America voted. And 99% of them voted for him. Another thing the media doesn't want to cover. But they keep doing it. It doesn't matter if it's just, we talk election. That's how they can do all this crazy stuff and change our voting system forever. Filibuster. None of these people are ever going to know that watch these shows that this cocksucking Schumer abused the filibuster more than anybody ever. When he was not the majority. When the American people voted in a president, a house, and a senate that was all Republican. They stopped all their agendas using the filibuster, using the majority needed 61 fucking votes. Put in and enshrined and always believed by all parties the right thing to do so a party in power couldn't alter and remove the ability of the other party to govern at a later date. But when they brainwash and you hear it, now you know why a dude got in a fucking hotel in Vegas and shot up a concert. Everybody on the planet knows he was a liberal. That's why we never found out about it, because the FBI works for the DNC. They brainwash you on Asian attacks. Those stats are from the Department of Justice 2018. They're mimicked by 16, 14, 12. You can go back to Obama, Clinton, if you say, well, it's Trump. Mm -mm. It holds true. African Americans are attacking white people or Asian people. But you're not going to hear that because they don't have to do it. They can brainwash and lie and repeat it over and over so people do believe the core root of everything wrong in our country is that police are out there killing black people at an extreme rate. They believe there's a fucking transgender genocide happening in America when 19 transgenders die. And what was it? 16 were their spouses. It is understandable to know why people are losing their mind. Why people do believe, oh my God, Everybody who votes conservative is evil, and if they shovel the snow off my house, I can't say thank you. 
Because all you see all day is this evil pushed out by hateful people who know what they're doing. They know they're dividing the country. They're either doing it for ratings or they're doing it for political power because they do believe, like Seth Meyer says, that there's an existential threat to ever let a conservative run this country or anybody who's non-prog. We need to make sure the system is set up so that they only we are only governed going forward by Democrats. If that was the case, on an open playing field without media bias, social media bias, and actually talking about policies, America would vote for Democrats all the time. But they don't. And it isn't voter suppression. It isn't that black people couldn't vote. It's that black people didn't vote. Your base didn't show up. And the American people realize your policies were the antithesis of what they needed for their family. Most of these votes aren't on about, I need to take care of black, Asian, fucking transgender, one-leg, freckled motherfuckers. It's, how am I going to pay the bills? Who's going to tax me less? Who's going to make my energy costs not be so extreme that I won't be able to afford to heat my fucking house, drive my fucking car, or occasionally be able to use my boat on the lake? That's what Americans think. They don't spend their whole time like the Democrats, progressive in our media, wondering how they can garner out pandering votes out of fucking minuscule fucking voter blocks like the transgender LGBT part. 0.7%. And as you watch them take over every institution, including the U.S. Army, and try to make it woke after they made our grade schools woke, our high schools woke, every college woke. They are a fascist organization. That's why I didn't vote for Biden. Any political party that believes they need to silence their opposition and then go about silencing their opposition in the media, in print, in film, in social media, is a threat to the democracy that I serve to protect. That's not America. America is the engagement of ideas and the compromise of policy. We do not go around laws. We make or rewrite laws. But the Democrats have now set that precedence that I said they were going to do, and now you have Republican states gun sanctuary, no abortion sanctuary, no critical race sanctuary, because they have no choice, because unlike Republicans, the Democrats initially target those states and enforce their dictums. If Donald Trump would have put out a policy that every bathroom that was unisex would be closed tomorrow, our media would have lost their shit. But woke under Obama pushed it through the media, froze out sports that wouldn't do it, punished organizations, punished people, fired people, because they didn't believe it was all right for a dude to take a dump with a chick. At that moment, I knew we were in a world of hurt. But then you have the New York Times say it's the conservatives talking about culture wars. Yeah, okay. That's why I do a podcast. That's why I bash the media. This is dangerous. Because there is no way 
for reason, facts, and honesty to be portrayed in our media and social media now. It is all this late-night bullshit where they get fear-mongering lies that take a generation and make them believe, okay, I'm not going to lose any freedoms when they make it only black people can vote. Because if they could do that today, boys and girls, they would. If you think him bringing in all these illegals is because he really cares about illegals, you're smoking crack. They just want the votes. Nothing about the Democratic Party is about the people. That's why Donald Trump became president. He beat them at their own shtick. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. For all the new listeners, thank you. I saw last podcast, but I'm sure it was just to honor Scott as it should be. But if you stick along, I promise every once in a while to make you laugh, put out a few facts here and there, and make it entertaining. To get anything you want to see it or hear it, you go to foppodcast.com. If you're a purist, you go to SoundCloud and Rumble for video, SoundCloud for audio, and those links are on foppodcast.com. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend time with your family. Life is super short. I will be ending probably the rest of the year with a moment of silence for Scott Carl before the usual. Thank you for listening, everybody, and you take care.